and welcome to Gender Forking Season 3, Episode 1, a podcast where we talk about Midnight Sun, a complete and finished book. Oh my god. (laughs) You really just rhymed there. Thank you. I did not plan it at all. I know. (laughs) Or notice. (laughs) Wow, here we are. wow. I can't believe that we started this podcast to like talk about Twilight and then now we're on season three and we're going to talk about a new twilight content for the second time i mean if it's yeah. a new we don't really know some of it is new right if you had told me when we sat down to record our first episode in spring 2018 that we would be sitting down and reading midnight sun mm. a short two plus years later <laughs> I would not have believed you. No, absolutely not. So much has changed. The renaissance is like a real renaissance. TikTok has become a thing. Yeah, TikTok's done a lot. Twilight TikTok is a thing. What else has happened? I don't know. We went to grad school. We went to grad school. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Stupid. (laughs) We didn't go to Forks. Uh, Didn't go to Forks. Right off the bat, something I noticed cracking into the text was Mm -hmm. unlike life and death there's no explanatory intro yeah life and death there's like a pretty substantial explanation of what life and death is and the premise behind life and death and why she wrote it and for twilight there or (laughs) twilight wow midnight sun (laughs) needs no explanation there is not it needs no explanation i guess it is a much bigger deal you know what it also doesn't have what it has no prologue and no opening yeah. literature quote. Yes, I was really looking forward to the opening literature quote because I think that I thought that the life and death one was really fascinating and yeah. like really showed a tone difference between the books. Right. And I was really looking forward to seeing what that equivalent would be for Midnight Sun. So maybe that's my first complaint um, of the season <laughs> is that there's no <laughs> quote. It's interesting. It makes it feel like it's not a companion piece to Twilight. It makes it feel like this is a yeah. different story. And it it is. Like, it feels... I mean, it's been a while since I read the draft. A couple years, maybe. It seems apparent to me that a lot of the first part of this book is is basically copy-pasted from the draft. Um, I, I don't know how it's going to be yeah, later on, but... really nothing fresh in this section that we've read for today, which is the first two chapters that I can yeah. remember. I kind of... I, read- I skimmed through the draft... Uh, right before we started recording and it like was the same okay we also about i mean probably about a year ago we were sent a alleged midnight sun full draft by someone uh on tumblr who was like this is the real thing right i think we talked about it on the podcast a while ago that it would be interesting to compare and see if it's the same thing right and it turns out it doesn't appear to be yeah um which i guess is not surprising like it's not surprising that someone wrote fan fiction to like finish Midnight Sun. Yeah, I did have to to dig into the the depths of the internet to find that and then compare yeah. it. But what I found out in the process of that, and besides it not being the same as the book that I have here, is that I went to the end of the Midnight Sun draft and compared it to where that drop off point would be in the new book. And they were mm-hmm. not the same. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, okay. th- like, the end of chapter, I think it's 12, was not 
the same as where it leaves off in the new book, just from first glance. So I don't know what was kind of rearranged there. My understanding of what we read so far is that it's literally the same. And my understanding from what I've heard people say online, though I'm trying to avoid that right now, Mm -hmm. um, is that it's pretty much the same. Okay, that's interesting. It appears that Stephanie's process is like edit somewhat as she goes Mm. and so it makes sense that she would feel really comfortable copy pasting the first two chapters that she wrote yeah with not a lot of edits but maybe the last chapter that she had written at the point that it was leaked was like more of a draft and she really wanted to make some substantial some substantial edits to that which is really interesting but i like personally I mean, I commend her. Like, I I applaud her for publishing straight up something that she wrote 15 years ago because I would never want to publish anything that I wrote more oh, than, God. like, two seconds ago, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> I, <like> <laughs> I have, like, huge, like, tweet, like, regret. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll send something and I'll be like, oh, stupid. Like, God, what was I thinking? So Sam is reading a digital copy. I'm reading the ebook. I just wanted to kind of, like, have it right away and I didn't want to worry about when it was going to arrive because I was impatient, Aries things. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading a physical copy, so that's fun. Just before we started recording, we realized that Sam doesn't have the information that's on the book jacket, so, like, the physical, like, duster that's on the outside of the the book um, has some information, so I would like to do a quick review of that for anyone that might be reading the ebook as well. Obviously, we can all see the cover from pictures and stuff, but do, do you know the quote on the back? No, tell me. <gasps> <laughs> well, let me read it to Is you. Is it new? It's not. wasn't on the website? I don't think so. Ooh. I'm pretty sure it's new. Okay. I didn't keep up with the re- website quotes because at a certain point I was like, I feel like I've read the entire book. Totally. You know? So it says... I can't sleep, I murmured, answering her question more fully. She was silent for a moment. At all? she asked. Never, I breathed. As I met her penetrating gaze, read the surprise and the sympathy there, I abruptly yearned for sleep. Not for oblivion, as I had before, not to escape boredom, but because I wanted to dream. Maybe if I could be unconscious, if I could dream, if I could live for a few hours in a world where she and I could be together. She dreamed of me, I wanted to dream of her. As she stared back at me, her expression full of wonder. I had to look away. I could not dream of her. She should not dream of me. That was beautiful. Wow, I love that. Beautiful. That was gorgeous. <laughs> that was gorgeous. <laughs> oh my god. I'm so excited to get to like the new stuff. Yeah. I'm impatient, and then on the honestly. back of the book, there's a picture of all the books in the Twilight saga except for Life and Death. Ha <laughs> gift. And Which the is we so do not recognize. Funny. They were like, for legal reasons, that book didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. They were like, that was a mistake. <laughs> and then on the inside of the duster, there's another quote, mm-hmm. like right under where it says the price. Yeah. It says, I could see how easy it would be to fall into loving Bella. It would be exactly like falling, effortless. Not letting myself love her was the opposite of falling. It was pulling myself up a cliff face, cliff face, hand over hand, the task as grueling as if I had no more than mortal strength. Those were those are so exceptional. Oh my god. Yeah, they're like excellent, excellent quotes. So I'm really yeah. excited to see what she's written in this book because it sounds beautiful. Yeah. And then it's talking about how it's like about the series, I guess. So it says when Edward Cullen and Bella Swan met in Twilight, an iconic love story was born. But until now, fans have only heard Bella's side of the story. At last, readers can experience Edward's version in the long-awaited companion novel, Midnight Sun. This unforgettable tale is told through Edward's eyes takes on a new and decidedly dark twist. Meeting Bella is both the most unnerving and intriguing event he has experienced in all his years as a vampire. 
As we learn more fascinating details about Edward's past and the complexity of his inner thoughts, we understand why this is the defining struggle of his life. How can he justify following his heart if it means leading Bella into danger? In Midnight Sun, Stephanie Meyer transports us back to a world that has captivated millions of readers and brings us an epic novel about the profound pleasures and devastating consequences of immortal love. Mm. I think I did read that part. That was, like, available when you buy the book online. Like, it's, like, the Ah. description for when you buy it. Very fun. So good. Yeah, those are beautiful quotes. I mean, I wasn't, like, super taken by the writing in the first two chapters, so I'm, like, excited yeah. to see, like, where it goes, because I think that she's she's absolutely had to have grown as a writer over the last 15 mm-hmm. years. I think we can see that in Life and Death, too. And I think Stephanie is better at writing about love than she is about um, the way that Edward wants to kill Bella in these first two chapters. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Should we get right into it? Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about the cover page or I title do. page? Yeah. So the title page, when I first saw it, I was like, oh my God, is this Hades and Persephone? <laughs> and then I immediately, like the first thing I did when I opened it was like, go to the little information on the pages after. And no, it's Cupid and Psyche. So mm-hmm. I was really intrigued by that because I couldn't remember like the story there. But it turns mm-hmm. out I read that story in college and I just don't remember it. It's in the golden What ass. did you read it for? It's honest. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> this is a piece of mythology that is what's the word allegorized maybe Mm, mm -hmm. in in like Mm -hmm. honestly countless countless pieces of of art and literature the main form of the story like the the main the original telling of the story of cupid and psyche is in the golden ass by apuleius written in second century so cupid is the roman for eros He's the son of Mm -hmm. Venus slash Aphrodite. Psyche is the Greek, but she's referred to the Greek in the Roman. Interesting. Yeah. Um, But her Roman name, which she's less commonly referred to, is Anima. So I kind of remember this being one of the the more prominent stories of the Golden Ass. But again, I don't really remember it. I wanted to read this like synopsis of the first part of the story from the wikipedia page because i felt like it most accurately reflected some of the stuff that go on between edward and bella so basically psyche is the like a princess she's like supposed to be really beautiful and so beautiful that people are worshiping her whatever (laughs) and this offends (laughs) venus so she sends her son cupid to kill her or something or no not to kill her to (laughs) that was very inaccurate it's this this is very important to the story (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she wants Cupid to to strike her with one of his arrows so that uh, she'll fall in love with something horrendous. Okay. But what happens instead is that he accidentally scratches himself and falls in love with Psyche. Oh my god. Yeah. This is why you don't have sons. <laughs> yeah, men can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, she's unmarried and the, like her parents think that this might be because they've, they've upset the gods in some way and there's like an oracle involved and basically the king, her dad, is not going to expect a human son-in-law and that Psyche's kind of like destined to marry a monster or something like that. So it says Psyche is arrayed in funeral attire conveyed by a procession to the peak of a rocky rocky crag and exposed. Marriage and death are merged into a single rite of passage, a quote-unquote transition into the unknown. The west wind bears her up to meet her fated match and deposits her into a lovely meadow where she promptly falls asleep. The transported- I know. (laughs) I was like, a meadow? (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) 
The transported girl awakes to find herself at the edge of a cultivated grove. Exploring, she finds a marvelous house with golden columns. It's really beautiful. A disembodied voice tells her to make herself comfortable. This is actually Cupid. Although fearful and without proper experience, she's allow- she allows herself to be guided to the bedroom. And she can't see him, but they have sex. Like, this just keeps happening. She's, like, living in this beautiful palace, and she's not, like, officially wed to Cupid, and but they're, like, having sex and she can't see him. And he forbids her to look upon him, and she becomes pregnant. Why? I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> There's probably an answer. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually. I mean, yeah. Like that's pretty accurate, right? Eventually. That's a sick, so that's like a sick Twilight reference. Right. Appellate. Yeah. And she <laughs> eventually like is so curious and she, she believes that he's a monster. So she's actually going to try to kill him. And she has a dagger and stuff. And then something happens when he comes and there's light shown on him and she, and he's really, really beautiful and she falls in Mm -hmm. love with him. And then some other stuff happens. The tale ends in their wedding and it's, it's kind of like a Greek comedy. It also, (laughs) it intersects with Persephone. Oh my God. Yeah. So there's a part of the story. There's basically four parts to the story. That was like the first part. And the last part is the wedding. The third part, she's going through all these trials that Venus, Aphrodite, imposes on her psyche and one of them is to go to the Mm -hmm. underworld and she has Mm. to take a box obtain in it a dose of the beauty of prosperina who's persephone so she has to like actually go there and do a bunch of stuff in the underworld which i thought was interesting and then persephone actually like kind of takes pity on her and does give her that she's supposed to deliver the box back but she's curious and she thinks that if she opens the box it'll enhance her own beauty and when she opens it up She's put into basically a coma. And then oh. the, the ne- at the next part of the story, Cupid is reunited with her and, like, awakens her. And I guess there's, like, an interpretation of this being, like, he, like, kisses her awake or whatever, as you can probably infer in story mm-hmm, and other, like, fairy mm-hmm. tales. Um, but that is what is pictured here uh, on the title page of Midnight Sun. In the information in the book, it says it's just Cupid and Psyche by Antonia Canova. But the actual title of that painting, of the of the sculpture sorry, is um, Psyche Revived by Cupid's Kiss, which is uh, located... Ooh, fun. Well, according to the book, it's located in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, but according to Wikipedia, there's also one in the Louvre. This obviously appears in, like, so many different fairy tales, like Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella. Oh, for sure. Sleeping Little Mermaid. Um, it didn't re- reference this in the Wikipedia articles, but at the end of the Wikipedia article for Cupid and Psyche, side note, it does redirect to the Pride and Prejudice page. <laughs> i I love that oh Um, okay which is cool and then there's a bunch of things in here about psychology and in like psychology and gender studies this story has been interpreted from a feminist perspective to be about compulsive heterosexuality and heterosexism and how relationships between women in this case psyche and her sisters disintegrate so that heterosexual love can take its place fascinating Um, so i'm sure there's something there with twilight (laughs) well that's interesting because I think that's also like part of the story with Persephone is that her relationship with the nymphs that she grows up with, mm. with Demeter, mm. are severed so that she can go off to be in the underworld and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. I think there's probably parallels between Cupid and Psyche and Hades and Persephone as well. Mm-hmm. It's like the comedy version <laughs> of Hades and Persephone. <laughs> Um, Another thing that came up when when I was researching this is that there's a feminist psychology scholar that I'm familiar with. Maybe you are too, Carol Gilligan. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote a book 
called The Birth of Pleasure. The Birth of Pleasure, A New Map of Love. I do want to read it now because she's using the story of Cupid and Psyche to explore how her previous research kind of relates to love as an experience mm. and as like a social thing. She says in the beginning, and what I can see here on Google Max, she says that when Cupid and, and Psyche become lovers, he says he will leave her if she tries to see him or speak about their love, but Psyche falls in love only when she has broken the taboo on seeing and saying what she knows. Mm. Yeah, another thing is that Cupid and Psyche have a daughter. Renesmee? The, yeah, her name is Renesmee. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. How did we not pick up on that before? <laughs> But the daughter's name, in various interpretations, essentially the daughter's name is Pleasure, um, (laughs) which has multiple interpretations. But what Carol Gilligan says about it is that the myth of Psyche and Cupid is a story about transformation, a tale about the soul and desire that is also a story of terrible punishment and suffering. How does it end, the Mm. questioner asks. It has a very happy ending. Psyche and Cupid is a map of love and a story about the transformation of love that ends with freedom and the birth of a daughter named pleasure um and so she's kind of like writing the story about like how how basically love creates births you know evokes pleasure like in mm-hmm. relationships um but i thought that was very interesting in the context of twilight <laughs> for sure yeah oh my god okay the end wow we love that yeah such a heavily researched first page of the book i know i didn't i don't want to like take up too much time but like there's a lot there and maybe it'll come up again so everyone keep it in mind should we talk about the table of contents real quick which just for transparency made me cry yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) when you said that i like that was the first thing i turned to in the book and i was like there's so many chapters yeah and the titles i mean we can geek about geek out about it like for the whole season but for sure um this book is longer than twilight by about seven or eight chapters. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed first was the amount of space between where the draft ends and where it picks up with the meadow scene. There's like four extra chapters in there. Yeah. And then I also noticed that all of the chapters that are in Twilight that are the same, for the most part, are titled the same here in Midnight mm-hmm. Sun, except for um, Phenomenon is titled something else here. Yeah. And the Cullens, the chapter that's supposed to be the Cullens, is chapter, it's titled Home, which was like, I was like, I like shed a tear and I was like, oh my God. It's like, it's not that deep. Of course it's this fucking house, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But I was like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Also at the end, there's a lot of differently titled chapters and there's extra chapters at the end. Edward has much more of a perspective and consciousness (laughs) for that whole experience. Yeah. That'll be really, really interesting. But we're gonna see a lot of repetition for the first kind of twelve chapters here. We have to do the dedication. (gasps) Oh my god, you're right. This dedication. People I saw people online that were like crying about this dedication and I simply do not feel emotionally moved by Stephanie Meyer's words when they are not written like in a fictional format like (laughs) she could say to me Lori Lofton you have changed my life specifically and I'd be like okay (laughs) (laughs) this was nothing for me um that's gonna be a hot take that's gonna be a hot take 
For sure. Do you want to um, read the dedication? Yeah, usually these books are like, yeah, sure. Usually the books are dedicated to like her siblings or her husband, so, or her kids. Yeah, or her sons. This book is dedicated to all the readers who have been such a happy part of my life for the last 15 years. When we first met, many of you were young teenagers with bright, beautiful eyes full of dreams for the future. I think this ignores twi- twi- moms, mm-hmm. Twilight Moms. <laughs> I hope that in the years that have passed, you've all found your dreams and that the reality of them was even better than you'd hoped. That makes me weirdly self-reflective and, um, and I didn't want to be, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I don't know that I found my dreams. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> she was like, I hope you found your dreams. And I was Sorry. like, actually, Stephanie, read the room. Like, we're all trapped at home in the middle of a we're pandemic. We're trapped inside, it's hell. Yeah. But it's a sweet sentiment, so, you know, whatever. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Stephanie. Pop off, Stephanie. Okay, first sight, chapter one. Let's oh actually do it. Okay, so, let me just say. Midnight Sun starts in the cafeteria scene, Mm -hmm. which I love. It's our first glimpse at Edward through Bella's eyes. So it makes sense to me that there's not some like Edward before the Bella. In true Stephanie Meyer fashion, within like the first few words of this book, she's like, let me drop a little little allegory to Christianity real quick with you. <laughs> and she compares, or Edward compares high school to purgatory, which is so funny. Yeah, he's very emo right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> Within his first breath, he has already called the, the students of Forks High School sheep, which he yeah. refers to them as multiple times. And then yeah, think, he, like, does. he also calls Bella like a lamb later. And yeah. it's like, he's not very, he's, He's very mean. A lot of this is very mean. A lot of the thoughts of the students and other people are very mean, and his own thoughts are quite mean. It's accurate to high school, I feel. Like, I was definitely mean in high school. Not, like, (laughs) excessively mean, but I was mean in the way that, like, high schoolers are kind of fucking mean. And so I kind of get that a little. But what I'm really curious to see, and I don't don't know if this will happen or not, is, like, do his thoughts towards humanity in general start to soften? And is he a little bit easier mm. on humanity as he gets to know Bella and fall in love with Bella? Yeah. God, I hope so. I mean, I would think so. For at least sometimes. Probably mm. inconsistently. <laughs> yeah. It really doesn't... And I thought about this before. It doesn't surprise me that Edward thinks that he has a cursed existence when he is trying to endure high school forever. Yeah. Like, that's that sucks. That's a shitty way to... To, if you're not going to be able to conceptualize your life or your existence in a, re- a well-rounded, happy, even realistic way, if you're choosing to spend it in high school, that's really and weird. Rosalie makes a mention of that later on in the chapters when she's, she's in the chapters that we read when she's thinking about having to uproot her life. And she's like, we are literally almost through high school. Please don't make me start over again. And it's like, yeah. I would simply refuse to go to high school if it makes you that miserable. I understand a lot of it doesn't make sense yeah like starting over early like that makes sense to me so they can spend more time in one place but what's the point of spending more time in one place if this time that you're spending there is miserable right if they can spend like 10 10 maybe 12 years in one place and four of them have to be in high school yeah that doesn't make a lot of sense to me I would just simply try to like find a different solution to this problem you know I don't know. It's interesting the choices they make to like blend in in a small town as well because I feel like it's much easier to blend in in a large city. For example, the Cullens live in Seattle. Like nobody's gonna pay attention to them enough to know if they're in high school or not. Like 
totally they could come and go as they please i guess the hunting yeah, would be hard but you know you're kind of still in a rural state so like you could just run outside of seattle and you need to hunt it never makes sense i think this is something that's like highly discussed Mm-hmm. like right now and in general is like this would make sense if they were in college or something like it doesn't make sense that they have to pose as brothers and sisters and like father and mother um they could all just be like friends living together in college or like yeah brothers and like some of the, like maybe carlisle's like the older sibling of edward and jasper or whatever it's very interesting the life that they're trying to lead here yeah. and i wonder if that's like all because Carlisle wants to be a doctor and like I don't know can only be taken seriously as a doctor if he's posing as older than he is mm-hmm. so he has to be like oh yeah I have a wife and children <laughs> right super weird I don't, I don't know it, it, it's just it's interesting to see how miserable all of them seem except for maybe Emmett yeah and I guess Alice doesn't seem <laughs> miserable but she is in this chapter like seriously stressing out about Jasper's proximity to humans and like his ability to right to not fucking murder everyone it, it, they, right it doesn't seem worth seem, it in any sense yeah like particularly happy content or like i don't know well adjusted to the situation that they're in despite them having done it for quite some time it seems uh, to go back to your original point what's the difference between purgatory and hell so purgatory is where i mean heaven is heaven hell is bad 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 Purgatory is like where people kind of in the middle end up, or people that weren't okay. baptized, or people that. That's what I thought. Is it like limbo? Mm-hmm, it's it's limbo. Yeah. This first page, back to the fucking first page, really seems like Edward is in a fog here. Seems like he's really bored, like mm-hmm. existentially bored. Really reminds me of like Bella's new moon depression, that sort of thing. For sure. I did think of like later on, I don't know if it's in Twilight or Midnight Center both, but there's like some quote somewhere where Edward compares his life before Bella as a moonless night. And that made me, it made me think of that. I mean, she's about to come into the story, but it just, this we get like a little glimpse of like kind of how he's living his life before Bella just for like a second. It looks really sad too. Cause like, I mean, Bella's in, in, in there at this point and the whole like thirst thing is happening, but in he's not paying attention in class he's literally sitting there existentially like zoning out thinking about how bored Mm. he is it's not like he's going to class and like paying attention he's commenting on how there's nothing that he could possibly learn from the biology book that he doesn't already know he's putting down the teacher mr melina for not having anything anything worthwhile to him like he's like i have two medical degrees like what am i doing in a high school biology class what is he doing there? Uh, yeah. We'll, we will never understand. Yeah. Right. I think the world, according to Edward, is, like, really boring and repetitive and unoriginal, like, mm-hmm. according to, like, just from hearing other people's thoughts, he feels like he's heard it all before. This really sets it up for him not being able to hear Bella. He seems like he's able to block a lot of it out, though, and then he has to try a little bit harder to block out his siblings. What I love about the way that he describes Emmett's thoughts is that yeah. it just seems like Emmett has none, and he's a himbo (laughs) yeah absolutely he says like there's nothing in emmett's head that he wouldn't say out loud so it never felt invasive to read his mind yeah and that it was like a clear pool that you could see straight to the bottom of or whatever it's like hilarious it's like emmett just like is like he is what he is he says what he says he describes rosalie's mind as a stagnant pool with few surprises which is rude extremely Um, rude i'm not even gonna entertain the idea that that is fair yeah (laughs) it's not it's like it's i wonder like how much of that is unintentional like 
implicit bias against the like Edward or like against Emmett and Rosalie because they don't have the powers that Alice and Jasper have. Like, of course, it's interesting sure. for Edward to read Alice's mind. She can see the fucking future. And, like, yeah. stuff is going on in Jasper's mind because he's constantly tortured and, like, he's imagining yeah. killing all the people around and him, he's, you know? And he's feeling everyone's emotions. Yeah, yeah. So, like, how much of I'm, that is, like, fair for Edward to say, like, oh, they're boring? And it's, like, I mean, compared to the other things you're privy to, I'm sure they are, but, like, don't be fucking rude. We have this just, like, immediate fixation on Bella that yeah. happens. Yeah. It makes sense, like, it's kind of natural because everyone's thinking and talking about her. You also kind of, like, get a glimpse into the mechanics of his mind reading, which is fun for me because, like... Been wanting that. (laughs) Yeah. The idea is you can hear people's thoughts and they're italicized in the text so you know who's, like, thinking what, like, what thoughts are, um, I guess. But he can also conjure up images based on people's thoughts. So before he sees Bella in person, he can see what other people see in her he can like he can see other people's conception of her in their heads which he's not very taken by yeah he's not he's not interested in like the new girl at school or at least he doesn't mm-hmm. think he is i mean i think i think that he is yeah <laughs> very but he's quickly like, oh, like it's so boring but they're so worked up over this it's like like, like right. these little sheep and they're like they're shiny toy and blah 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 and i'm like right. okay like you're literally about to fall in love with her so go off yeah so he can't hear her thoughts that's very intriguing to him. And then another mm-hmm. thing that's kind of happening simultaneously, which is very weird to me, he immediately is, like, feeling a protective instinct for Bella. Yeah. And I'm like, what's the purpose of this? Where is right. this coming from? And then later on in the text, he identifies that Mike Newton is having those same protective instances, and he, like, is, like, mad about it. And then he's like, well, yeah. I guess that's the same shit I'm doing. And he's like, yeah, he's huh. he does kind of understand himself. He does keep comparing himself to Mike. Yeah, because he's like, I'm doing the same thing that Mike is doing. And I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> uh-huh. The actual quote he says, perhaps it was just some long buried protective instinct, the strong for the weak. Mm-hmm. Somehow this girl looked more fragile than her new classmates. Her skin was so translucent it was hard to believe it offered her much defense from the outside world, and that he he wants to like protect her from jessica's meanness mm-hmm. it's very interesting i'm kind of wondering i don't remember how that how this plays out i don't know the way it plays out in twilight is like it's not a vampire thing he's just that's just him yeah he's just like a generally protective person and i don't understand how he doesn't see that in himself because like he literally killed esme's husband met esme and then was like you know what i'm gonna murder your ex-husband like yeah how do you not see that that's a protective <laughs> instinct Right. Yeah, he should know this about himself, for sure. He also is um, really fixated on her eyes right away, and mm. I think that's mutual between them right away. They're like, com- they're always just looking at each other's eyes. Yeah. And he finds her eyes to be very communicative, despite the fact that he can't read her mind, which is interesting. I, I'll, I'll, I mean, I in this scene in Twilight, I always find it interesting that Bella is so perceptive of what maybe is happening with Edward, and. Mm-hmm. He's pretty perceptive here of, of what's happening with her, and I, which I always found just interesting. They're just looking at each other. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's like, it seems interesting the the relationship between Edward and the rest of the Cullens, and like how he is using his gift as kind of like surveillance and like 
naturally kind of takes a leadership role in his siblings because of that because yeah. he can read everyone else's thoughts and they're like well it's like the like, lookout he's he's the lookout and then alice is the lookout for the future and they're kind of like running right. the show and it's just interesting to me like alice does this thing with jasper where she like is attempting to like humanize the person or the people that he's drawn to <laughs> almost attack she does the same thing later with edward when edward is like thinking about attacking Bella, she's like, this would ruin Charlie Swan. Like, it's his only daughter. Yeah. Like, fuck off, basically. Right. It seems like the two of them are kind of, like, running the the show as the siblings. <laughs> and I yeah, wonder if totally. that's because of their, like, gifts. I'm sure it, it probably is. Yeah, it just seems like stuff that they shouldn't have to do. Like, the amount of time that Alice is spending just making sure Jasper doesn't fucking kill someone. Mm-hmm. It's like a sign that they shouldn't, he shouldn't be in high school with them. It's yeah, a huge risk. Like, huge. People have been homeschooled forever, you know? Like, why don't the Cullens yeah. simply just say like, oh, our kids are homeschooled or like, oh, they go to private school out of town. It would make sense, like, for how weird they are. Yeah. They're like, incredibly weird. Offense, but no offense and offense to people who are homeschooled, but like, you have a reputation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, it wouldn't be their fault. Like, obviously, it's no. a homeschool kid's fault. It's just that, like, the social skills aren't there, and that really tracks for the Cullens, who don't have a single totally. social skill among the bunch. He goes to biology class, and mm. it's very apparent to him that Bella's gonna have to sit next to him, and the, just, like, just for, like, one second before he goes full murder, Yeah, he's, like, kind of intrigued to sit by her he's like mm-hmm. oh maybe like i'll get to figure out this no thoughts thing over the course of the semester but then he's like no i'm gonna fucking kill her and every single fucking child in this room <laughs> yeah it's actually like really right disturbing away. how long it is it's not like it's not a quick scene where he's like i'm gonna kill her it's no. like a entire the entire rest of the chapter is him going through multiple plans of how he strategically is going to kill her and the other 19 people in the room. It's, like, intense. It is a lot. It's, like, we don't know who this person is. So you're, like, reading Midnight Sun. You have, like, in a vacuum. You have no idea what it is. You don't even know that he's a vampire until this. Like, he doesn't name it until... For sure. I was a vampire and she had the sweetest blood I'd smelled in more than 80 years. And so, like, right away you're, like, okay, this is... This book is from the perspective of a monster. Mm -hmm. It goes on for pages and pages, Mm -hmm. and it's not worth really breaking down because it's just, like you said. Yeah, it's (laughs) like like it's horrendous. Just thinking about death here. It really goes to show, I think, in the summary on the book jacket, it says, like, this is a dark, darker telling of Twilight because, like, we get an absolute front row seat to the ways that Edward is... And, and against his will, like, he says, once he's able to break through, and it does take yeah. him a while to break through his first instincts of killing her, but yeah. he does, like, not want to do this, but he, it, it almost feels, like, instinctive, and maybe that's part of, like, the vampire nature, that he's like, well, if I was going to kill her, here's the plan. <laughs> right. <So. laughs> okay. Yeah, I had a lot of thoughts about this. He is very much in this section separating himself out from what he calls the monster. The monster, yeah. And maybe this would be a good time for us to introduce a segment that we would like to do this season <laughs> <laughs> called Vampire Therapy, although I'm not sure every time it's going to be a vampire. But yeah, we'll probably. see. <laughs> I think that this is very interesting, the way that he's sep- like separating himself. There's a couple different ways to read it. So, like, mm-hmm. yes, like, clearly, like, this is his instinct, but it also seems to me... 
and what from just from reading twilight and knowing how this theme of control or lack of control plays out or is explored it seems here at the beginning of midnight sun that he feels like he has no choice but to to have no control like it's like he's not really taking ownership over the fact that he is planning on killing all these people and Mm -hmm. automatically sees them as collateral so that he can get to bella yes and it's very like jacqueline hyde Mm -hmm. i don't really know where that's like coming from i don't know if that's like coping mechanism i don't know if that's just i mean it seems like he's just a person in general from knowing edward it seems like he's a person who doesn't take responsibility for his actions a lot of the time (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and if i were edward's therapist i would really want him to work on that maybe for sure small homework assignments (laughs) you know something that (laughs) it's really funny that this made me think of this but when i was reading it really reminded me the way that edward separates himself from his like monster like the inner monster is something that is reflected and this might just be by coincidence but i think it's very like it bears like mentioning that this is something that e.l james adopts in 50 shades of gray not surprisingly for christian gray but for uh what the fuck is her name uh, anastasia the girl she has an inner goddess who is the oh my god oh my god what <laughs> yes she she refers to her inner goddess um, and the inner goddess is the sexual, like, part of her personality that she doesn't see as, like, reconciling with, like, her good girl, like, persona. And, okay. like, it's basically, okay. like, her submissive personality is her inner goddess. And sometimes right. in the narration, right. she'll say, she literally, <laughs> this is the line from Fifty Shades of Grey that sticks into my head the very, very <laughs> most. There's a line of narration that after Christian Grey does something, I don't know, like, smacks her across the face or something. She says that her <laughs> inner goddess was doing a salsa with some merengue moves. It's like, maybe E.L. James really is Stephanie Meyer after all. Oh my god. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a huge red flag to me that he's doing this, actually. Yeah. That he doesn't feel after all this time like he has i mean i understand like the instinctual part of it but he's he's not he's not separating separating it out in like a helpful way right i think there's a way to be like this is what i'm experiencing yeah it's not helping him like distance himself from guilt or shame or anything like that because he feels those things right and like he's torturing himself by thinking of carlisle which i guess is helpful in the moment for him to stop from like murdering everyone but he thinks about himself and as the monster in comparison to carlisle and it's not like keeping himself as the monster like separating that part of him out is helping him not feel like guilty or shameful which is like okay then i don't see the purpose of you separating out the monster (laughs) it's like he's trying to i don't know i don't feel like he's actually trying to control himself i feel like if he wants to truly kind of change be different like not let this those instincts take over he does eventually remember that he always has a choice yeah but that doesn't come to him for like over an hour (laughs) yeah 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 it is like shockingly close to a bloodbath and like honestly he doesn't even make the decision he distances himself from bella eventually he is able to leave the classroom when the bell rings and and like go but he's still like that's not the end of this debacle of like is he going to kill her because he's like well i didn't kill her then but maybe i'll like fall her house later yeah Yeah, like i mean it's so drawn out like he's not like 
oh, I'm going to kill her. And then he's like, oh, just kidding, just kidding. Immediately, he's like, I'm going to kill her. And I have multiple ways that I could. And I'm not even sure at the end of the chapter if I'm going to go run away to protect her or if I'm going to go kill her right now. Some of this perception of, like, the monster as outside of himself is coming through seeing his own reflection in Bella's eyes. Yeah. Which I thought was, like, very interesting symbolically. (laughs) Really, really Um, weird, yeah. We get, like, Edward and the monster as, like, a concept. And then we get Edward and the monster as, like, his own reflection. And then we get edward the monster versus carlisle his like sense of morality but that still kind of juxtaposes like two faces he describes it as two faces in his head i don't know i just felt like that was some really interesting insight as to what is going on in terms of edward dealing with his own vampirism and i'm interested in how that might change i mean that's might be the kind of the point of the whole book honestly yeah (laughs) i feel like honestly like the lack of perspective that he has when he's thinking about himself in comparison and i think this is something that emmett does really well is emmett is open with edward about how he's fucked up in the past and he's like well just kill her or don't you know like (laughs) whatever which is of course you know we don't want to kill people but whatever emmett i feel like the difference between edward and like the other vampires that are with carlisle is that like Edward has, like, impossibly high standards for himself based on Carlyle's mm-hmm. experience and doesn't view yeah. the full spectrum of, like, oh, like, Edward has not eaten a single human being in years and years and years, whereas, like, there are vampires out there that he knows are, like, doing that constantly every single day, making a habit of it, torturing them, like, enslaving them. He has, like, no perspective because the second that he messes up a little bit or the fact that he's ever messed up in his life means that he's not Carlisle, who's, like, this god-tier vampire. And I'm like, I don't think that's healthy either because it's, like, the idolization of Carlisle, I feel like, is part of why Edward can't accept this part of him because he is constantly comparing himself to, like, the perfect ideal vampire that's like maybe it's not helpful to have carlisle bragging about how i mean he's not bragging it's just his experience but Mm. if edward didn't know carlisle's experience of never ever ever being tempted or like never ever giving into his temptation would it be like so would he be so hard on himself this is all coming from an extremely self-deprecating place Mm -hmm. he has no kindness for himself yeah so work on that edward that's (laughs) go to therapy He, like, hates Bella here. I'm like, can you relax? Yeah, he, He like... projects it onto her. He gets over it eventually, but... One of my favorite quotes from the draft that I did remember was, like, why did she have to come here? Why did she have to, like, ruin (laughs) the, like, parts of my life that I did have, whatever? Again, it's... it's, Most of this chapter is honestly not worth diving into because it's just, like, murder. (laughs) But after class, he goes to try to switch out of biology, and he has this, like fun little oh interaction God. with Ms. Cope, who is the office receptionist. <laughs> just like a content warning here for anyone listening who hasn't read or just for like the conversation that we're gonna have for pedophilia. <laughs> yes. Ms. Cope is obsessed with Edward from the get-go. He knows this. He doesn't seem to be disturbed by it. And you get a glimpse no. into how he conceptualizes his own age because yeah. she says he's he's almost young enough to be my son and he's like <laughs> like i'm like i don't it's Older not right there but grandfather. it's he's, yeah he's he, she's saying something like i could be her grandfather i was older than her grandfather yeah yeah and it's like ugh. edward conceptualizes himself as this like 107 or whatever year old and doesn't really seem to get disturbed by this and also kind of uses her 
affection and fascination with him to his advantage or tries to because it doesn't eventually work out but he's trying to be charming because he's trying to switch out of his biology class like two things are happening even if he is viewing himself as older than her grandfather that doesn't make it like okay for sure (laughs) it's just like strange to me that these basically sexual thoughts are being put stephanie Meyer's writing that into her head it doesn't have to be like that she has other thoughts about Edward and the Cullens that are like, you know, they're so smart. They're such good Mm -hmm. students. They should be in college. They don't have to be like, oh, my God, he's so pretty. He's too young for me, though. Oh, my God, stop it. Like, yeah, like there was be happening. there was even a way for Miss Cope to maybe make some mention of like, oh, God, they're like really like, wow, like what a great gene pool or something like that. You know, like there would have been a way yeah. for, him to, for her to like make reference to his physical appearance without making it the way that it is which is awful right and it's also like i don't know how edward isn't disgusted by this on the grounds that like miss cope for all intents and purposes only thinks he's a 17 year old like that's all she knows yeah she obviously doesn't know he's a vampire so like he's not disturbed by it hypothetically because he knows his age but like what's to say somewhat good looking mike newton isn't gonna walk in and she's not gonna be like he's too young for you right how do we not see that's a potential pattern (laughs) And it's not like, oh, well, it's just because he's super naturally beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because I think that there are other ways that vampires of any age can prey on humans of any age. And it doesn't always have to be sexual. I mean, I know that that's like part of it, but it, didn't, it just didn't have to be written that way. Yeah. So that's not fun. She's making mention, yeah, about how smart they are. And like, I thought it was interesting. They all have perfect 4.0s, never a hesitation with a response, never a wrong answer on a test. Right. I just feel like maybe if I were trying to blend in, I would draw straws every year and have one of them be the dumb Colin. Or like <laughs> maybe they could throw or a like few assignments. Flunk a test every now and then. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like don't do your start homework. a fight every once in a while. Yeah, like yeah. like fuck around and try to be normal. Like I don't know if they're trying to blend in or be model citizens. Yeah, it's really weird because I'm like, there's just no way that like this wouldn't raise red flags. It also raises the question, and I'm sure there's an answer for this in the illustrated guide. How long have they been in Forks? Because Ms. Cope knows they came from an accelerated school in Alaska, which makes it seem like yeah. they transferred while in high school because otherwise like there would be no reason for them to be doing high school biology in middle school. So it's like, Right. Like, they couldn't have been in Forks for more than two years. Maybe they just transferred, like, in the middle of the year or something. So maybe yeah. it was, like, Edward pretending to be a freshman somehow. It's been, it's you know, been max two years. It's yeah. really fascinating. I'm just kind of, like, honestly, like, it didn't have to be like this, but it, but it is. <laughs> but it is. Edward's leaving school and basically decides he's going to go to Alaska. He's going to go to Alaska. Yeah. Yep. Got to go to Alaska. That's kind of the end of the chapter. It's just... Alice reminding him, like, like you're going to do the right thing. Please don't He's kill. He's like, that. Yeah, please don't <laughs> kill Charlie Swan's only daughter. And then that's pretty much the end of the chapter. He's being dramatic. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to go drive to kill Bella or if I'm going to drive away from here and save her and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the next chapter begins in Alaska. <laughs> so Yeah. In the next chapter, he is lying in the snow, buried, half buried yes. under snow and not but moving. We should pause to do the Forks cast. Today in Forks, it is 63 degrees and sunny. Looks like it was a warmer day, 67. <laughs> it's not warm. Low of 48, pretty clear, actually. Um, so that's Ooh. that's fun. Okay, chapter two, open book. Very Edward's, fun. He's in Alaska. What part of Alaska is he in? Did you look into the, did you look at the guide? You know what? 
I have it. So let me go grab it. The way that the guide has it set up, it's really interesting because they include Garrett in the Denali clan. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, I guess. The Denali coven is... Are they in Denali? <laughs> appears so. There's a little map here of Alaska, but yeah, it doesn't say. It does have like a little map of Alaska with Denali National Park marked in the, like the middle. And that's all it says. It doesn't have like a location of them. Are they in the national park? That would be really stupid. Also, is Denali an indigenous name? Uh, that's that these really... white Russian vampires have uh, taken on. Well, you'll actually come to find out they're Slovakian, but, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but okay. probably I'm sure Denali is actually. I didn't look into that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm looking at the National Park Service website. There's an article called Denali or Mount McKinley. It says that it is believed that Denali is a Kyokon word that means high, tall, or even great one. And it's named, like the mountain is named gotcha. Denali. Kuyukon are an Alaskan native Athabascan people of the Athabascan speaking ethno-linguistic group with their traditional mm. territory along the Kuyukuk and Yukon rivers where they subsisted by hunting and trapping for thousands of years and many Kuyukon live in a similar manner today. The first Europeans to enter the territory were Russians, which is actually really interesting. They came up the mm. Yukon River and found that coastal Inuit had long traded with Russians. Unsurprisingly, European infectious diseases drastically reduced, reduced the Koyukon population who had no immunity to them, including smallpox. So Europeans fucked it all up, of course. Um, um, <laughs> Edward's, Edward's lying in the snow. He's lying in the snow being emo he's really in his feelings and then um tanya comes along this was so interesting to me yeah this is and like it was not like what i remembered i had more recently read it so i did remember this it's interesting because he's also like throughout this entire chapter but even here at the beginning keeps talking about how he really just wants to look at the stars but that bella's face is like <laughs> intruding on his view of the stars because he can't yeah. stop thinking about it, and that's hilarious. <laughs> Do you know in the Hunger Games when someone dies, they project their face up on the fake sky? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. exactly what I think it looks like. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Tanya literally comes and does a cannonball into the snow next to him. She's like, she's, she wants to fuck him, okay? She's she does. Wearing, she's, uh, in Edward's words, not dressed for human eyes. She's just wearing shorts and, a, and like a like a top like a, a tank top. camisole yeah. yeah tank top thin cotton camisole <laughs> that's what it says yeah yeah she does a cannonball and covers him in more snow which he does not attempt to uncover himself from. and then she like brushes it off of him and she's, <laughs> she's like, like it was a fucking joke like <laughs> and he's like yeah it's funny <laughs> yeah and um she says that her sisters arena and kate told her, her to leave him alone so it seems like the family, like, obviously understands that she's trying to fuck Edward, and Edward obviously yeah. is trying to not be fucked. <laughs> so, yeah. I did some research on Titania. There's really, oh, honestly, good. not a, a ton about the formation of the oh. Denali clan, which is, like, really fascinating. So, the Denali consists of Arena, Kate, and Tanya, initially. 
and then mm. Carmen and Garrett later. Mostly on Tanya. Tanya, so the Denali clan was formed, the initial, like, three of them were formed by Sasha, the... Oh, who, that's right. Who was Slovakian and born in, like, presumably the late 900s. So Tanya is presumably... And Sasha and all of them are presumably born in like the thou- like the late 900s AD or early thousands in Slovakia. Okay. And then Sasha was Tanya's great aunt. So Sasha was a vampire. It does not give any context for how she was created or by whom. She wanted companions, so she turned her great niece, which I assume means that she was quite a bit older like, she was, like, a vampire for a little bit longer and then turned her great-niece around mm. the same age that she was for companionship. Tanya has no powers beyond the typical vampire powers. And she's the only ones of Kate and Arena that are, like, biologically related to their creator, Sasha. So Kate and Arena were just, like, I guess friends or randos or something. Tanya was the first person to, of them, be sensitive to or empathetic for humans when she was eating them. I think that chronologically what happens is Sasha is the one that we hear about in, in the books and the movies creating the immortal child who was Vasily, right. who was about three years old. And honestly, it's really fascinating because in the illustrated guide, it says she did this knowing that it was against the Volturi Code law and concealed it from the rest of her coven. So the three sisters the or they're they called sis they call them sisters um kate arena and tanya didn't even know about vasily until the day that he was destroyed by the volturi and until sasha was executed by the volturi for breaking their law so they didn't even know about him she kept him a secret from them that is so wild and apparently they were devastated by sasha's loss of course it was their like creator and so Tanya took up like the leadership position in the family and was kind of like the the head of the the other two of them and when she started to be empathetic towards like the death of the human men that she was like fucking and then killing she just decided <laughs> to start to not kill them and not so that's <laughs> how she became a vegetarian and so she's like notorious for being and Edward comments on this like she like fucks and has relationships with human men and then kind of like i guess lets them go or like i don't know how long she keeps them around um yeah it does it seems mostly sexual and not like romantic but she has a huge thing for edward and it says in the illustrated guide that she never gives it up it said like she never gave up on edward and so initially when the cullens and the denalis first met part of the reason why the cullens did not settle with the denali were because tanya was so insistent that she wanted to be with edward And so they were not comfortable there and they continued on to settle in other places. And so that's why their families didn't permanently merge. Oh my God. Um, And it says that she never gave it up even through the events of the saga. She still held out hope that she could be with Edward one day. (laughs) But but like, why? I don't know. Why does she want to be with him? I don't know. It sounds like she's really got it figured out. Like she's like taking multiple human lovers. It Mm -hmm. sounds like she... I mean, Edward's perspective of this is that it's not a a deep, it's not a deep thing that she feels for him. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds like like, it's just a sexual thing. (laughs) I don't know if she just like feels like a like very strong sexual pull towards Edward, which would be really funny because like 
Edward? He's not, that's oh. not him at all. <laughs> but it's not like she's Edward, where he's like eternally lonely and has no one and is so depressed and sad. She seems to have a good thing going, but she still can't give up this thing she has for Edward, which is like really funny. It's like if they were to get together, then like that would be that for Edward, that would be a monogamous situation. I can't imagine that Tanya or any of the Denali's who seem like they really have got this thing figured out for them yeah would give that up to like be with um edward cullen (laughs) the way he talks to tanya is like kinder nicer and more complimentary than he ever talks to bella (laughs) yeah and honestly like to rosalie which is interesting because i feel like there's similarities between tanya and rosalie that are things that i would think edward would despise in both of not despise maybe not dramatic would dislike in both of them like tanya's focused on being hot and like fucking humans and rosalie's right. focused on being hot and fucking at it yeah and so it's like what is his beef with rosalie that he can be kind and patient and apologize to tanya for being rude or distant and feel pity for her in a way that he doesn't seem to hold that same energy for rosalie he kisses her cheek at one point i'm like who are you what's yeah. going on he like lets her give him advice in a way that i don't see him seeking out from his family like it's like he's like a little moody brat at home then he goes to see his cousin and he's like i love my cousin (laughs) cousin lol yeah um cousin who's trying to fuck you um yeah (laughs) he (laughs) it's kiss your cousin alaska okay oh my god yeah it's weird that he's so complimentary towards her like when i feel like i was spending the entirety of reading twilight being like when the fuck is he gonna tell her that she's beautiful and that he likes her (laughs) yeah like i was saying she like she counsels him and is like i think you will go back like you're gonna face this head on because that's the type of person you are and he really holds on to that even through the remainder of the chapter when he's going back to forks he's like i am gonna face this head on he's like yeah i'm like who who is this person to you like where is this relationship coming from like spiritual advisor tanya it's super weird anyway he goes back (laughs) it's really a quick a quick trip to denali in the sense that like we only hear this like one little conversation and that's it which is fascinating it's just six days and he's like never mind yeah so he goes back and then they have this like fun little lunch they have a lunch he's nervous about bella being there and we know that bella is also really nervous about edward being there and what he notices right away is that bella doesn't seem to have told anyone about what happened when he was staring murderously at her (laughs) yeah he he chalks it up to her being like extremely shy which I guess could be true I also feel kind of like maybe it's not her being shy but her like internalizing like that it's her fault that he's staring at her like that like that there's something wrong with her which I think is a fundamental disconnect between the two of them whenever Edward says something that's like definitely an Edward problem like I can't read your thoughts Mm. she's always like oh my god there's something wrong with me they have this snowball fight which is really wonderful (laughs) Emmett breaks a brick in the cafeteria (laughs) yeah he like holds on to ice and obviously like alice sees things coming and so she not only deflects the ice from emmett but she also manufactured this like what (laughs) what edward calls a norman rockwell painting moment so that when alice knows (laughs) bella is about to glance over at them in the cafeteria she throws ice at (laughs) emmett and he shakes it off onto her and and rosalie and everyone so 
they're like laughing and like playing when when Bella looks over and they just look like a normal family. It's so impressive, honestly. <laughs> I wanted to also say there's a few second like moments in this chapter where I think of this, but like it seems like I mean, obviously some of the siblings are dating and like the people at Forks High School know that, but like if you're in high school at the same time as your sibling, it seems like you would not associate with them as much as the Cullens are. Yeah. Like, Emmett's waiting for, yeah. like, Edward to walk to, like, class, which is precious. It's it's so cute. But it's, like... Yeah, not normal. Yeah, like, it's not normal for siblings to do, like, at yeah. school. <laughs> they probably would have their own friend groups. Edward is so fixated on Bella here for, like, obvious reasons, but then he's like, wait, she looks sick. It Does she not feel well? <laughs> yeah. And that he, and then he realizes that he's doing the same thing that Mike is doing, which is monitoring her health. And he's like uh-huh. forcing himself not to do it. I'm like, dude, you just, you like the shiny new toy too. Yeah. For your own reasons, but that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's really interesting. I, oh, Edward. Oh, Edward. There's a part where there, he's actually getting ready to go to biology class he's kind of deciding if he's going to do it if he feels ready and edward kind of gives us this insight as to what all the other members of the family think about the situation yeah which i found really interesting it says carlisle disapproved of the risk but he Mm -hmm. wouldn't impose his will on mine jasper disapproved nearly as much but from fear of exposure rather than any concern for humankind Mm -hmm. lol jasper does not give a fuck about humans it seems Mm -hmm. which tracks confederate soldier jasper for sure rosalie only worried about how it would affect her life which is fair okay that's all we that's can expect fair from yeah alice saw so many obscure conflicting futures that her visions were atypically unhelpful esme thought i could do no wrong <laughs> and emmett <laughs> just wanted to compare stories yeah esme, emma just wanted to compare stories about his own experiences with particularly appealing sense this made me wonder kind of like what we were talking about earlier it made me wonder what is Jasper and Rosalie's relationship like? How does Jasper's perception of Rosalie, how does it differ from Edward's in that Edward's perception of her is about her thoughts and Jasper's is probably much more about her feelings? Because oh. just because he, Edward doesn't seem very in tune with Rosalie's feelings, he, mm-hmm. he might be hearing her thoughts, but I don't think that just because you hear someone's thoughts that you necessarily understand them because people don't necessarily understand their own thoughts. And they're not necessarily thinking of, like, they're not bringing to the surface, like, where those thoughts are coming from. So I'm wondering if Jasper might have a much more intuitive understanding of who Rosalie is. Yeah, you know what? I'm curious about Jasper's gift as well, because he seems, like, less able to control it in a way that Alice can tune into other versions of the future and ignore things happening, which is what happens in yeah. the previous chapter when Edward's imagining millions of ways to kill everyone she's so focused Mm -hmm. on jasper's future and like what he might do that she misses edward completely edward has said that he's able to tune out thoughts of other people and kind of like keep it to a dull roar or focus on one at a time or etc but jasper doesn't seem to have that sort of control over his reading of other people's emotion from how i've heard yeah i don't know the past so i'm like yeah interesting there's obviously connections between what people think and then the feelings that accompany it but Jasper, who we know has a pretty nuanced understanding of what those feelings are. I I would think that Jasper might have more sympathy for Rosalie. Like, we have no sense of antagonism between those two characters, and they're supposed to be playing twins to the world, so. Just a thought. 
For sure. Biology class part two. They actually have a conversation. It is the conversation in Twilight. They're Um, doing the onion root cell lab with Mr. Banner. Can I read this passage about Bella's eyes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She looked up then, her wide brown eyes startled and full of silent questions. It was the same expression that had been obstructing my vision for the past week. As I stared into those oddly deep brown eyes, the color was like milk chocolate, but the clarity was more comparable to strong tea. There was a depth and transparency near her pupils. There were tiny flecks of agate green and golden caramel. I realized that my hate, the hate I'd imagined this girl somehow deserved for simply existing, had evaporated. Not breathing now, not tasting her scent, I found it hard to believe that anyone so vulnerable could ever be deserving of hatred. Wow, what a complex last sentence that was. (laughs) You ever make eye contact with someone once and you suddenly remember how to be empathetic? Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't, like, actually had a conversation with a human. This is him trying for the very first time and being like, oh, they don't deserve to die. It's so funny. It it truly does read as his first, like, human conversation in years. He, like, can sense in this conversation, like, that some of the social cues that he's, he's, like, fucking up. He's fucking up in multiple ways. He's fucking up in social cues because he's being really, like, demanding and prying for information that he probably wouldn't if he could read her mind. And then that made me question whether or not he seems really disinterested to other humans because he wouldn't ask these questions if he didn't not know them. Because, so, like, if he's interacting with a normal human, so say, for example, he can read Bella's mind... He already knows all this information because he can read her mind. So he doesn't need to, like, Mm -hmm. ask questions or pry. So to other people, this conversation would probably be, like, super boring. I don't know. It's really really interesting. Yeah, this is definitely, like, the only reason they're connecting is because of this, of these, like, weird circumstances. He does comment on her eventually being pretty, Mm -hmm. uh, moving away from his previous descriptions of her as ordinary. (laughs) <laughs> yeah very fun he thinks that she's pretty in an unusual way mm-hmm. better than being beautiful her face was unexpected not quite symmetrical her narrow chin out of balance with her wide cheekbones extreme in the coloring the contrast of her light skin and dark hair and then there were the eyes too big for her face brimming over with silent secrets i just find this i find this description very interesting <laughs> for sure it's really interesting because he seems like so reluctant to think of her as pretty It feels like just knowing that it's coming from Stephanie, who writes Bella in a certain way, and this just sometimes feels like self-insert fanfiction. Bella never thinks of herself as pretty and struggles with that sometimes in comparison to Edward, but whatever. I feel like it it would be incongruent of Stephanie Meyer to to write from Edward's perspective, just to like right off the bat be like, and she was the most beautiful girl I had ever laid my eyes on. That's true. It would definitely be more cliche yeah. and annoying if she did that. And I'm kind of like, I guess it's yeah. better. If it was like love at first sight because she's so pretty. He doesn't even notice really at first, which makes sense, I guess. This makes me want, oh my God, I can't remember what we called it when we were talking about life and death. Noon Moon. The Noon moon. the Edith yeah. version of this, this story. Because yeah. it'd be really interesting to see like how Edith acts in these situations. Because honestly like in twilight all the vampires like that have shared experiences of like extreme thirst in this way they're all men and it it doesn't seem coincidental that it's like these men who come across women who have particularly good smelling blood it's just like so cliche so it'd be really interesting to see edith and eleanor bond over this like lust for blood it feels less like it would be I don't know. That brings up something else for me that I forgot to mention when we were talking about Tanya, is that Tanya's got it all figured out, having sex with humans. 
feel like yeah. that's something that is established in canon that is possible and is not going to lead to death necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really make sense that Edward would just be like, absolutely not. <laughs> it's It definitely calls into question, like, so Stephanie must think that the, the dangerous part about vampire sex where men are the vampires is penis. Is the penis. And that's <laughs> so funny. Like, the penis as destructive it. and the penis as, like, powerful. It's like... Get Dangerous. Over it. I feel like Bella could, with her own hand, rip off his popsicle dick. You know? Yeah, because it's so frozen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Break right off. <laughs> like get an ice pick to um, it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Would he even feel that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that that's weird. That like for men, it's like so associated with bloodlust and lack of control but Mm -hmm. for tanya and the other denali women they can just do it and it's fine and their love for men is what allows them to be gentle with them right okay (laughs) (laughs) edward's also noticing that bella's she's smart she's just like she's not like other humans is what he says um it's actually like she probably is and if you could read her mind you wouldn't be thinking this but whatever exactly I wrote that I was like I don't feel like if Edward could read her mind he would allow himself to like or he would even be capable of falling in love with her like I I think that this is a this is it for him and like she's his soulmate purely because of her like ability to block out his mind reading though like it's not really an ability yet but when she's a vampire it is like I don't feel like if he could read her mind he would love her yeah, the appeal wouldn't be there as much. You yeah. might just kill her. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. This conversation mm. is the same as it is in Twilight, so it wasn't super interesting. He's prying. That's the really interesting part, is that he, he knows he's being rude and he just has to do it anyway. But he thinks of her as selfless when she's yeah. talking about, like, like, Phil and Renee and how she, like, exiled herself to Forks, which I think is... It makes sense to me that he, why he would think that because he only has her words to go off of. But I wonder if because he only has her words to go off of, he just like takes them at face value and doesn't consider the possibility that he like he could be being lied to for the first time. Mm, Not that true. she is lying. Oh my god. He has no suspicion that what she's saying is like unequivocally true. And I think it's true that she did do this self-sacrificing thing by going to Forks, but I don't think that it was purely self-sacrificing. Like, I think she got something out of that. She didn't have to live with her mom and her mom's new husband, which is, like, awkward. And, like, she got to start over. I don't know. Edward seems to, like, see her as some, like, martyr. And it's, like, well, she's just, like, a high schooler who decided that they wanted to live with their dad. (laughs) Right. And, I mean, Stephanie writes her this way, that that Bella is this really self-sacrificing character. And she has huge moments of of being self-sacrificing yeah. in every single book. That is, mm-hmm. like, her act, obviously, at the end of Twilight with mm-hmm. trying to save her mom, saving Edward a new moon, like, cutting herself open in Eclipse, and then, like, the Renesmee stuff and Breaking Dawn. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's such a trope, too. Yeah. It's a problematic trope that, like, women yeah, should carve it- themselves out and, like, I don't know, just have to, like, give themselves away and then that makes them um, strong and whatever it feels weird that that's like her defining characteristic it's just like what she does and and it seems like she has no self-preservation or self like interest like the one thing that she really wants through this saga that she actually gets is to fuck edward before she gets turned into a vampire (laughs) 
But she concedes on everything else and she lets everyone else have their way all the other times. Yeah. And it seems like she's constantly doing things that she's not happy with. And it seems really interesting that that isn't something that she seems to really grow in. Yeah. Like those situations just kind of wither away. Yeah. She doesn't really stand up for herself ever. She just kind of really goes with the flow. I don't know. It kind of bothers me. Yeah. So it's weird that he sees that and like is like, oh, she's not like other humans. I also just think that like his perception of humanity has been so skewed because he's lived in small town America for decades. Like you meet Mm -hmm. one person from a city and you can't read her mind and you're like, oh my God. Is this my soulmate? Thoughts on when he will ever stop referring to Bella as the girl? Oh my god, yeah. And he calls himself on it too. Yeah, he did. And he's like, I shouldn't be calling her that as if she's like the only girl that matters. And I'm like, okay. Okay, whatever. He does refer to her as a woman child. Oh my god. You know, I noticed that too. Like, there's this tendency of him to call the other people in Forks, like the the high schoolers, like kids. And it's like, I mean, you are too, buddy. It's like, I, I pick up on it, I think, because I work with college-age students and then adults and I really notice like it's something that drives me absolutely like up the walls when adults that I like I'm doing this too now but when like professionals and career staff members um at universities call college students children or refer to them as kids or like play up their youth yeah I work with a lot of people that are younger and in their 20s and very early 30s and there's not a ton of distance between them and the people that they're like supervising and talking about and it's really like patronizing and like like a false sense of like removal from this group of people that you have a lot more in common with than you probably think right you know and there's some nuance to that with the vampires because they're fucking vampires and they're actually way like have had way more experiences but it's like developmentally you're just like them yeah it's interesting like there's a way for for both of those situations like there's definitely a way to like talk about people as being young or youthful without denying them autonomy or agency and i don't think that happens very often Mm -hmm. i think that just sort of gets subsumed and like oh well they're children so they don't know this or that instead of being like Mm -hmm. um actually they regardless of their age or experience deserve a certain amount of respect and, and rights <laughs> and yeah. the role of older people with younger people should be to like help protect those things instead of talking over them so it's interesting sure. that that doesn't come in to play very much here at all and this is a critique of the Cullens I guess that has is not unique but people have critiqued the Cullens for being like not redistributing their wealth which is huge <laughs> um yeah. but they're not also they're not advocating for the people that they're around they don't form attachments to the people that they're around and i feel like there's other ways that they could be helpful to the community that they're not doing yeah part of that's probably tied to like who they are as high schoolers but honestly like if each of them had one extremely meaningful relationship with a high schooler like a high school classmate like that would be huge like they have so much perspective and like so much knowledge and and such like totally and just like so much experience with like even like navigating high school like they could they could definitely give advice to these humans and kind of give back a little bit and be advocates or like be like people that could stand up for them and i don't know they don't really do that no yeah no they don't they don't concern themselves with it at all yeah also just want to shout out this part where edward and emma are in spanish class and there's just like some really basic spanish happening i thought that was really funny (laughs) yeah that was extremely funny by the end of this chapter i feel like edward is like like fully does not understand his fascination with bella 
um, which is very funny. He's very yeah. oblivious to these n- very new feelings where he's like kind of waiting for her to come out of gym class, like watching her in some other people's minds and then like gets out of his car and he's like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Am I waiting for her to come over and talk yeah. to me? <laughs> he doesn't see what is clear to us, yeah. which is like his intrigue and fascination. He doesn't see it as that. He just, he. I mean, and it makes sense. Like he's never probably felt... He's never done this before. Like, if you've never had a crush before, yeah. like, you don't know what that is like. Right. So he's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. I'm sure that if people could read his mind, <laughs> they'd be like, oh, he has a crush on Bella. Right. I just feel like about three things are, I was absolutely positive. One is that Edward has never experienced having a singer before. <laughs> Two is that Edward has never experienced not reading someone's mind before. And three, Edward has never experienced having a crush on someone before. Maybe that's our new closing segment. At the end of every chunk, we do three things about which we're absolutely positive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great idea. (laughs) I love that. That was a great inaugural segment. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to tear into the next two chapters immediately. It's such a unique experience to be reading this book for the first time, but simultaneously reading the story of Twilight for, like, the 80th time. Right. But, like, this perspective, I've read also this first part. Yeah. (laughs) My God. Here we are. Welcome to season three. Please join us on Patreon if you are feeling so generous. We have a really great Patreon community that's growing right now. It's, like, a great time to be in the Discord. It's, like, you automatically Mm -hmm. have people, including us, to discuss Midnight Sun with. You can head to the link in our description. I know many of you are probably reading along at home, reading Midnight Sun for the first time. Since we're reading it a little bit slower than probably your average consumer, we've started to accept questions via our email. We ask that you either in the subject line of the email or like in the first like words of like a an ask on Tumblr, like please say what chapter the question's for, but um, we'd love to answer some of those on the air. But we are obviously reading at a different pace than most people since we're like doing probably about two, three, maybe four chapters a week. So if you have a question about a chapter that we're not at yet, or if you have a question about any chapter, just send it in with the chapter title. Let us answer that on the air. We'd be really totally. happy to hear from people. We already got a couple, but they're not for these chapters. So I'll hang on to them. I'm really excited for that. Yeah totally cool well thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time for the next couple of chapters and that's all forks Listening to Gender Forking, a Twilight Saga podcast. All of seasons one and two are now streaming. To stay updated about the podcast, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at @genderforking. For more Twilight content from us, follow us at bowlingshirtbellas at tumblr.com. For other inquiries, email us at bowlingshirtbellas at gmail.com. If you would like to support the production and maintenance of this podcast, head to patreon.com/genderforking. The music you are hearing is from Oh Lucifer.